This is the Dear Warren Podcast. Uh, welcome to Dear Warren Podcast. Um, here we just talk about stories, principles, lessons, and we try and pass them down to my uh, son, Warren. And there's a lot of backseat parenting that goes on. But most importantly of all, we just try to have fun. And my guest today is my good friend, Mike Whitmire. How are you, Mike? Doing great. Honored to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. How's the drive here? In that uh, Once again, dreary weather. Yeah, a little, a little messy out there this morning. Not too bad. But you're sounding fine. I know you were, you were concerned about being a little congested. Everyone's a little sniffly. Sniffly right and, now. and yelling loudly at the fights last night. How so. were they last night? I, incredible. Everything was good, right? Probably every, every fight was incredible. This was UFC, which one, 271 or something? 217, maybe. 217? I don't know. It was in New York. So. I, I might have totally just flipped Local. the numbers. Yeah, yeah. 17. It was, it was at MSG, right? Yeah. How many, how many events have they had at the Garden so far? Is this I don't like know. I think it's their second, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, Rose, just incredible last night. Super inspirational. That's the kind of champion we all want. Uh, what I Now, I heard a bit. I didn't get to see too much of it, but... I did get to see the highlights, and I heard there was a big like build up to it as well, too, right? Like, uh, who did she fight? Uh, Thug Rose fought who? Um, I can't even I, try to pronounce her name. I can't she's even... great too. I mean, she's been a great champion. Mm-hmm. Um, Johanna, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not even going to try. But I heard that there was a lot of trash talking going on. Is that how they? Yeah, they, you know, yeah. it's a fight, so you, you got to get riled up a little bit. I think. Do you think it was more more so for the promo, or do you think they were they were, they were like? There was actually like real like bad blood between them. I didn't, really, kind of, I didn't really sense there was real uh-huh. bad blood. I think it's just for just the art ratings. of the promo, yeah. right? You so want to sell it, the fight. And uh, what happened? She got knocked out, man. <laughs> she got a, clipped with a, a really clean mm-hmm. left hook and just and, swarmed on her. And swarmed on her. Was it was it a TK or I I heard uh, no she I saw tapped. that she yeah she tapped a strike yeah which was pretty which, surprising yeah th- that doesn't really happen that often in, I'm not even sure if she was aware that she was doing it I think she was mm-hmm. in such a daze you know things happen she, she got rocked she was rocked too right and, and you just got to prote- and you got to protect yourself which is kind of like one of the the I guess more uh, if 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 people who have no, who are listening. Um, hey, new listeners and old listeners, thank you for, for tuning in. But obviously, we talk, usually talk a lot about jiu-jitsu and martial arts here. And then if you're not familiar with it, I, I actually got a haircut yesterday, and she and uh, she saw that I had a bit of the, uh, a shiner right here from, from class, and she was like, oh, no, I don't really like watching any type of fights. And, I, and you know, we started talking a bit back and forth that it is a controlled fight that a lot of people who are, aren't used to it, sure, especially, yeah. if, especially if they just watch boxing. And then the main thing about it is, uh, especially with UFC, is that as you said, you can you can tap to strike. So even if you are like getting rocked, yeah, there's a way out. There's a way. It's, and, you're not going to get kicked while you're down. You're not getting mm-hmm. you know soccer kicked in the face anymore. Anymore, yeah. <laughs> in the early days, <laughs> they had to adjust those rules. Yeah. What was it like the the original rules? I think were were no biting and no like fish hooking or yeah, you could still groin strike you could still groin strike yeah. that was and the they crew. did and there was no weight classes and it was bare knuckles there was like a guy with like who who fought with like one boxing glove i remember like <laughs> all way back place. in the day um but back to modern day ufc and the present uh what were some of the other fights uh geez it's like uh rose was such a standout it's like uh-huh. uh, the rest of them were sort of like uh, didn't like, G- didn't gsp make his comeback or uh, something like that uh, yeah that's right he choked out bisbing last night choked him out choked him, well unconscious yeah yeah. So so full point where like Bisping was like, all right, I got, I'm getting choked. I'm just gonna go out like a 
you know, well, I'm not going to You know, tap. he started with strikes and he was, mm-hmm. he was getting uh, dazed pretty good too. So mm-hmm. just jumped on the choke at the right time and squeezed. But I thought, again, Bisbing had a great, uh, after the fight, uh-huh. that's the kind of stuff I want to hear. You know, like, he beat me, that's it. Yeah. You know, no hard feelings, and we'll come back and do it again, maybe, but... Good sportsmanship, Yeah, right? yeah. Good totally. sportsman, a good, good... I mean, uh, I'm not necessarily a fan of Bisbing, you know, but uh, uh, I can appreciate that kind of stuff at the end of the fight, you know? I remember like, the... the he, he's got a hell of a squeeze, he yeah. said, or something like that, you know? It's like, awesome. I remember the, the, the fight between Bisping and uh, way back in the day, it was at least five, seven years ago, against, uh, uh, I think, Henderson, right? Yeah. And Henderson, when he just rocked him. And uh, and that was a big one because I think that was totally like, oh, UK versus USA or something mm, like yeah, that. Yeah, they always like, try to get some story. They line. always try to get, like, uh, another bit of a... Yeah, the the art of the promo. Well, I think it's try to you try to get different types of fans in. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like hardcore fight fans n- might not necessarily need that aspect. Yeah, the the, the storyline aspect. Yeah, to but it. then the fringe people they they need something to they need a soap opera. Are you trying to imply something with my professional <laughs> wrestling fandom here, yeah, Mike? Might, huh? You know, it's just, just a little, a little bit? bit like WWE. You know, just a little bit. Well, I, I there is a big like crossover between MMA and WWE, like sure. way back in the day too. Yeah. Like, uh, if you, if you think of some of the legends, like, uh, you remember Kazushi Sakuraba? Of course. The Gracie Killer. Of course. In Pride. Yeah. He, uh, he, in, in Japan, there's like a big, like, if you were an MMA fighter, they were actually also pro, like, professional wrestlers at the same time as well, too. And it was not uncommon to have that going back and forth. I'm trying to think of, of, of the other Japanese striker that also did that. I can't, it, it's not coming to my mind right now. But GSP... I remember I was bringing it up to uh, one of my more like casual fight uh, friend fans, <clears throat> and uh, she was saying, "GSP, it, he's still fighting. It, isn't he like kind of old? Is is he like back back, or is he just is this like a one off fight that was happening?" Well, I guess we'll see. I, you know, I'm not sure. He won the title, didn't he? Or he something? did. He did. And then <laughs> I guess, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if. if if he's going to be able to hang with some of these guys, like mm-hmm. Yoel Romario, I mean, the guy's huge. Yes. And you get to also have a, a bit of a bias to, to it, too, because once again, we continue the streak. I would say it's about 99% of all guests on the podcast. Yet another one that does, uh, Mike is another jiu-jitsu uh, brother of mine as well, too. Yep. Been training with you for a long time. Man. Long time. And uh, the other aspect of it is due to that, do you see, do you find yourself when you're watching the fights, you have a little bit of a bias to like, Oh, come on. I want to see, I want to see some slick jujitsu here. Yeah, as well. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I always find myself squirming around in my chair trying to like, <laughs> I'm going for the underhook and I'm like, come on, get the, you know, go for the arm drag, go for this. I get invested as well too. Like when, when I see the fights, I'm like my heart actually is like starts pounding oh, yeah, for definitely. certain fighters. What is that? It's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's like, because oh, you're on. a fighter and you can feel it. That's mm, why I get that too. I, I would say, I guess anything I get in, invested in, as far as like uh, even with like sports teams, like uh, this. Actually, this past World Series, I didn't have to because my Yankees got knocked out. But mm. anyway, um, they've won plenty. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Give somebody else a chance. They could use. They could use another one, especially with that 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 new team that's coming up. I'm sure they'll have their time again. Oh, there was a uh, um, my uh, brother-in-law and and my father. My father-in-law is a huge uh, Mets fan, so. Uh, my, my brother-in-law uh, texted me a video yesterday, and it's my father-in-law, and he's in, he's in I think like a Target or something. And he found like a little Yankees doll of like one of the hitters, and he goes, 
is he taping? Is it? He goes, hey, check this out. And he starts, he just starts punching nice. <laughs> the doll. And, and, that was, and that was the video. So I texted back, oh, look at the Mets fan playing with dolls. Like, <laughs> <laughs> These little kids. Yes. I enjoy the, the sports rivalries there. But as, as I was mentioning before, you've gotten, in, you've gotten into jiu-jitsu. You can appreciate it. How did you, did, how did that start for you? Your little track in jiu-jitsu. Was it just like... journey? Yeah. Did it, did it just come like, hey, I'm just... I saw a fight one day and I want to come into it. Or was it something else? And listen up, Warren, because you're going to find that many people have different uh, pathways into martial arts. Yeah. I mean, I started martial arts early teens. Uh, when I was probably 14, maybe. I uh, started Taekwondo, ta- Tungsudo, Taekwondo. Oh, did that traditional whole... martial arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was the scene. I grew up in uh, a town that, you know, that was pretty much what was available. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then I switched to, I did some full t- contact kickboxing for a little while. Full contact kickboxing? Yeah, at 17, I was doing that. Um, I didn't do any grappling um, until, God, I was like 30 years old. You know, I mean, other than just like wrestling around with friends. I mean, I, I was on the wrestling team just to practice, but mm-hmm. I never um, was like a full-fledged member of the team. I just sort of liked to practice with them. Uh, didn't have the commitment for the, you know, the year-round grind that they Ooh. do. Yeah, it's a, it's a real, um, a lot of dedication goes into it. Not just with a practice schedule, also weight cutting, maintaining yeah, your weight just, and everything. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's a, and you said that was like around what age? Well, the wrestling thing I th- this was like probably sixteen. So like sophomore, sixteen, year, seventeen. High yeah, um, I graduated right before I turned eighteen. So okay. Um, yeah, so I did a little bit of that. But as far as jujitsu, I started. You know, you're probably going to laugh. I started with uh, Aikido. Um, and oh, I was why like, would I oh, laugh, man? Come I on, did it because it's like one of those like does it really work kind of martial arts? And oh, there's a whole there's there's whole debates about traditional versus you know quote like practical. Well, versus, I'll say this way: it, yeah. it's great for movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely teaches you good foot footwork and you have to be super on point to make it work. It's all about timing. Um, mm-hmm. you're not going to pull it off cleanly like you see in the movies, you know, it's, it might be a little, who's the, who's the big Aikido practitioner? Steven Seagal. Uh, yeah. yeah Steven I mean, Seagal. Yeah. He was always now, him. now he's like what, like a, some bounty hunter guy with a vest and he, and he shoots people like in real life Yeah, or he's a cop or something. I forgot what it is. Yeah. He's some marshal, I think. Or... Yeah. And he's still like, uh, um, I, I would see in some of the reality shows, like he would like do Aikido classes for his like police brethren and like yeah, toss them around. I mean, he's legit though. Yeah. And he went to Japan. I think he was the first non-Japanese guy to start a, um, to open a dojo. Really? I believe so. A gaijin, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what they call him there? I don't know. Uh, the, the, the non-Japanese. I don't know. This, this is what I remember from watching uh, Fast in the Furious Tokyo Drift. So... <laughs> So long story short, I started with Aikido and mm. sort of quickly realized I didn't I didn't like the lack of sparring, like the lack of full contact. Let's go for it and see what happens. Was there a, was there kind of like an incident where you were just like, mm, where, well, or did there it, were some like higher ranks effect? that that um, you know I guess they thought they they were going to pull some moves that wasn't working on me and uh, you know I just didn't feel like it was legit enough for me i felt I gotcha. like you know hey i just walked in here you're a master at this mm. and i'm countering your moves already mm. i just felt like you know i'm gonna invest my time in something that um is gonna be a little bit more real um, i gotcha 
What, but like I'm not I'm not dissing Aikido whatsoever. I'll say it's a beautiful art, traditional martial arts. I think there's so much benefit to it. Um, and you at a super high level, I wouldn't want to mess with an Aikido master at a super high level. You wouldn't want to mess with Steven Seagal. Well, him maybe, but <laughs> oh come on, dude! In Under Siege, he had what I think I could that, gas that, that him out pretty fast. Apple pull. <laughs> <laughs> I just run around him a few times and get him to gas out. <laughs> but yeah, so Aikido just turned out not for you. Yeah, it's just lack of full contact sparring mm-hmm. was was what lacking for me. Uh, the holding back, you know, I want to go in there and and see what's what. I want to see if it works, and um, so it sort of led me to. I was always interested. I've always you know heard about jujitsu, and of course grew up seeing the Gracies and was inspired by all that. Just Never had the opportunity, never, you know, just never worked out. But, um, what, I was 32 when I started, so, you know, now 41, so. And you started with the late, great Mr. Mike Merkula, correct? Um, or you, you started out somewhere else? Yeah, I started then, with somebody okay. else, but I, within maybe a year and a half, I went with Mike. Mm-hmm. And went with Mike from white belt to purple belt, mm-hmm. um, which is where I am now, so. Wonderful. Yeah. And it's wonderful training with you as well, too. You have the, uh, what uh, we will probably get in, into next is that you also, I keep joking about it as well, too, because since you are uh, well-versed in yoga and the, the flexibility, there's a, there's a type of uh, core balance that is innate in you that is not in a lot of other people that I, I go against. And uh, it, a running joke I like to tell uh, people, especially when, like, um, back at Mike's, or even now uh, at Adam's at, at North-South, is that when we're doing a sweep, um, and you're in class, I said, try the sweep on him. Hmm. And, and they're like, why? I goes, dude, if you sweep him, you got the sweep down. Because it, it's, it's, it's some type of freakiness that can happen at a time where I think I had the sweep on you, and then you have either, it's just a different type of balance, a different type of uh, uh, muscle memory that you have when it comes to yoga, and just keeping that balance, and... The flexibility, obviously, as well, too. And then just applying it. Yeah, I think what helps with that is there, there's a few common uh, like core concepts in yoga, such as extension through the crown. Uh, when I say crown, I mean the top of your head um, and your, your feet. So basically, you want one line going up, you want one line going down. Um, and that creates this really strong core in the center. So I think that's probably what you're feeling. So the 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 weight is being um, pushed in different directions um so it makes it a little harder for for that weight to be manipulated it's also uh, uh I'm, I'm feeling that i'm also feeling my age and and uh my uh dude i got many yeah. years of you. you're you're a young kid <laughs> and, and, I, and i and i'm feeling my wear and tear and i'm just like oh god all right yeah i'm not gonna sweep you oh, <laughs> oh you get you get him in and um so was yoga before or after or during jujitsu? Like, how did you get into yoga? Oh, yoga's way before. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a that's a, an interesting story. I suppose we'll just dive into that. It, uh, I was twenty four, uh, had a severely broken leg, and uh, my neighbor, uh, you know, just saw me sitting around with a cast, and um, I had to get screws put in. It was it was pretty bad. So the, the neighbor had lived at this yoga center uh, for something like 15 years, and she was a legit, you know, practitioner and said, you know, hey, I think yoga would probably help you get better. Mm. Um, you know, that was doing basic PT, but, it, you know, wasn't going to be enough. Um, so 
So yeah, I, I, I'm sitting around a broken leg. I look up this place that she tells me about. It's in Western Massachusetts called Kripala Yoga Center. They have a program that you could go and volunteer your time and get to stay there. It's a little different now um, that, you know, that's many years ago. Uh, but back then, yeah, you could volunteer your time and stay. I stayed for almost a year uh, just volunteering different programs. So um, it was just, it, I needed the immersion at the time. I needed to just be around it full time. And um, it created a really good um, um, like core practice for me. So I knew a lot of people start and they'll just go to one class a week or something. I mean, it'd be the same with anything. Like if you just lived it all day long, you'd get a totally different understanding of it. Um, and to be surrounded with people that are all doing the same thing, they all have the same mindset all day long. It's super powerful. They're all holding you accountable. Um, it's, you know, a super intense, different than uh, anything you've probably ever experienced to, to be living at an ashram like that. Um, so, so yeah, it was, uh, it started off as a two week thing, then it turned into three months and then yeah, almost a year. So along with the fact that you're in, uh, basically some, uh, a community with, um, people that could relate to what you were doing, obviously here in a, in a, you call it an ashram. Is that the word? Well, Technically, it's not because okay. they, at the time, they didn't have um, a guru. Okay. A, originally, they started with a guru, and there mm -hmm. was a bit of a scandal. You can look it up mm -hmm. if you're interested. All right. Uh, but uh, I won't get into that. Uh, so the, the guru did some things with his power that you know some gurus tend to do. Took it a little uh, overboard, and, and they got rid of him, uh, rightfully so. Um, so it, it's, it's not technically a, um, an ashram if there's no... What is an ashram? It's... Uh, you know, a place where you, it's a yoga learning school with, okay. a, with a head teacher, one teacher that's going to. Is that equivalent to how like, oh, a martial arts learning school is a dojo and this one's an ashram? Sure. Or, yeah. yeah, that's a good. Pretty much. I'm just getting down the semantics for, for people who aren't familiar with yoga and are probably looking to get into it as well, too. Yeah. Because um, here you're talking of an experience where as you went in and you volunteered and, um, in a jiu-jitsu school, you're with like-minded people who are all training for pretty much like a lot of the physical aspects of jiu-jitsu. Okay, I want to learn the martial art. I want to learn escapes, submissions. I want to get a workout. You make some friends. Um, and uh, maybe you get really into it and you start competing. In uh, when you're with uh, your yoga colleagues, um, there's the physical aspect as um, with holding static poses right but there's something else to there to it isn't it as far as like uh you hear a lot about like the spiritual aspect is is that something that is um uh, consciously taught there as well too or is it more uh just hold these poses yeah well the poses are just the tip of the iceberg okay um it's it's preparing it's one of eight aspects of yoga um in the united states it's become the predominant focus uh, where it's, you know, a lot of people practice it as just a physical practice, and that's fine. Uh, whatever aspect you want to focus on, as long as it's giving you benefit and makes you feel good, that's, you know, all good. Um, it's, in a traditional sense, something that you're preparing your body for. So if you, if you want to sit for meditation, if mm -hmm. you have a crooked back or if you have a pain somewhere in your body... It's all gonna, the time. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we train jujitsu, so of course. But um, as you go in the explanation, let me stretch. <laughs> so the um, the the physical practice is just a preparation for you to be sitting in meditation without fidgeting around. You're opening energy lines is what you're trying to do. Um, so I always tell people this. I say, you know, oh, you're so flexible and like I can't do those poses. But and I tell them it doesn't matter if you can do these poses or not. You could be in you know, your fullest expression, which, you know, your squat, um, isn't going to look like my squat, but you could have the same energetic release and that's what you're going for. That's the goal. Um, so the physical practice is, is just really preparing you for the, the next step. So then you can move into breathing exercises, which is to me, um, a lot more effective at this point. You know, like if I need to get right and I have 15 minutes, you know, before a podcast, I'm going to do some alternate nostril breathing, you know, I'm not necessarily going to do yoga poses. Um, that's what sort of settles me in at this point. Um, and then, you know, it leads, it leads to meditation. And when you say spiritual practice, it's, um, it's a self-awareness practice, right? So, um, you're just, the, the goal is to see what's there. Um, so if we have all these veils, we have walls in front of us, um, we have a narrow perception, um, you know, it's, it sort of leaves us in a limited space. So the, the goal is to see more and to see more of how your mind works and what you tend to do when you're faced with, say, adversity or when a thought comes in, do you just impulsively act on that? Um, or do you let it sort of ruminate and see, you know, what is that all about? It's it's a, it's you uh, learning about yourself mm -hmm. and in turn learning about who we are as, as a human race. Um, and a side effect might be that you might be a little bit nicer and you might be a little less judgmental of people and you might understand that we're all, we're all struggling and we're all trying to do our best and we all just want to, you know, support our families and protect our families. And if you look at everybody the same way, um, you know, everyone's in that same boat. They just want to be happy and support each other, you know, support their families. So, uh, you know, I think yoga helps you get to um, just a nicer place, hopefully. Now, is it specifically due to the message of yoga? Because as you said, it starts out with the physical. You said uh, there are eight aspects to it. One is kind of like the physical aspect. Is that uh, like the, the static poses? Sure. Is, yeah, the poses. So, Asana. So just for the sake of discussion, as we always do here on the podcast, when we get off on a nice long rants, <clears throat> um, if you have the physical aspect, let's say, let's just compare it to jujitsu for, you know, shits and giggles. So you have the physical aspect of yoga. You got the physical aspect of jujitsu. And then you start moving into uh, different, uh, the other seven aspects of yoga. Mm -hmm. Can that apply to other uh, physical activities too, such as a jujitsu. Sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of parallels, jujitsu. And, yeah. um, as you progress in belt levels, I think, um, it's a totally different game. You know, what you know as a white belt, what, what your worldview is as a white belt is mm -hmm. very different as a brown belt. Um, you're playing a different game. You're more attuned to you know, what they call the invisible jujitsu, right? Yes. Um, it's not so, it's not these gross movements that you're, mo you're, you're making. It's more of the subtle. Mm -hmm. So, um, otherwise known as the John Cena jujitsu. 
I just I don't know. Nah, that's a professional wrestling thing. I get to throw that at you now. Sorry, since I don't you know threw about the John other Cena. It's all right. <laughs> the joke is that you can't see him. That's your so, world. Yeah, that's that's you can't see him. So anyway, bad joke. Dad joke. I get to make dad jokes, people. It's the Hicks and Gracie thing that he mm-hmm. talks about. You know, invisible jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah, um, the um, self study is another one of the eight um, limbs of yoga. Eight limbs. So um, self study. When you're training jujitsu, if you're not practicing self-study then i think you're certainly limiting yourself mm-hmm. i don't know that you're going to really progress if you're not studying yourself um and another would be studying scripture so what are the what do the oldest books say um mm. you know that's uh what is the uh Salo's book the encyclopedia of jiu-jitsu right yeah I think no jiu-jitsu university jiu-jitsu university yeah. yes yeah we've all read that and studied so, that so when right? you say scripture there there's it's actual like going back and seeing the i, I guess the uh predecessors of like great i say yoga sure, masters like ancient and they sages have... and rishis and you know um uh, the they so yeah there's all kinds of old texts and um they're kind of hardcore some of the stuff they suggest is is maybe not for modern days mm. you know what sit, were some of the things well, that you know you have to practice yoga in a dung house you know made of dung really know? yeah so it's, but the only reason they said is well, because that's what they made their houses of oh, at the time okay, so okay. <laughs> you're not going to do that today i thought there was some practical like I don't I, know, it's just maybe i'm missing the, the point yeah, but maybe there is <laughs> um yeah now they have a lot of stuff that um you know, it just doesn't need to happen that mm-hmm. way. You can have the same result doing it, you know, modern ways. Um, but I mean, I'm the kind of guy that always wants to go back to the source. I want to see the purest way, like the guy that invented it. What did he think about it? Um, how did he practice it? And take Knowing it from there. Roots, kind of like a lineage. Of kind course. Of like... Yeah. You got to know exactly what, what it was supposed to be in its purest sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe you can use your, you know, just make it make it your own um see what works for you and see what doesn't work for you um but i think it's important to originally start with a very pure understanding and and go from there i think jiu-jitsu i, I yeah jiu-jitsu has that because you're able to whoever you're learning from uh one of the ways they keep lineage is to make sure that whoever you're learning from that they got there especially if you're learning from uh, a ranked um jiu-jitsu teacher usually in in this area it's got to be a black belt but in other areas uh where jiu-jitsu is not readily available you may learn from a blue belt you may learn from a purple but all those people had to receive their belts from someone else and if you trace it back far enough the 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 principle is that you should be able to trace it back to one of the uh original gracies or uh, the other branch i believe is the machado branch as well too so um it is interesting because then you talk about at, at, at the time of uh, um, um, ancient practices of yoga, like with the Dung House uh, example. You can probably see that, too, with uh, some of the, the, let's say, other martial arts. I, I remember uh, Jess telling me uh, with, with Taekwondo, they had like like old school ways of like really, uh, what is it? Taekwondo was a really like a militaristic sport. So it's kind of like one. No, you didn't do it. Whack, like, mm-hmm. you know, lashings and everything. So it's kind of like, okay, okay, let's, as you said, now that we're here in, in modern times, do you really need that? Do you really need a dung house? Do you really need to beat your students in order to get them to like uh, do a butterfly stretch? Right, you can have the same result by <laughs> yeah. being a little more gentle. Mm-hmm. 
or or modernizing the technique. Very interesting. So when you when you come into that, and you're uh, realizing the spiritual aspect of yoga to better your, I assume just like better yourself as a person, and then in turn, hopefully that spreads out to other people. Is that kind of like the ultimate goal or? Yeah. I mean, I guess the ultimate goal is to, um, just be more with the source of what we are. Um, you know, we're obviously all connected. Mm -hmm. Uh, some people still don't get that, but we clearly are connected to everything, plants, animals, it's all energy swirling around. Um, you know, so the more we can, uh, intertwine with that, um, and come back to our source, then that's, that's what yoga is all about. Uh, it's not about putting your foot behind your head. Um, you know, if you can do that, then, you know, so be it, but it's not, uh, that's not the goal. The goal is to be, um, understanding your place, um, in the world. Very cool. And is you, you had started mentioning, uh, meditation. Uh, is that another one of the eight, uh, uh, tenants yep, that's in there of, that's in there as well too <laughs> now because i've actually in the past as as well and pretty much in the present i've actually done different type of meditation practices as well you're talking to a buddhist here so um is that right i didn't know that you didn't know that well here you go now you get to learn a, a, a little bit more learning well. about each other yeah. yeah but um it's more so i would say kind of like the uh, like the philosophy of it as well too there's a there's a book by i think Shin, shinryuku zuki uh, I could be totally murdering that last name, um, but I'm allowed to because people have murdered my last name enough over the course of my years. I'm finally getting the hang of your last name. <laughs> I think I know how to spell it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the book is uh, Zen Buddhism, and it, it's a lot of, as you were mentioning, it's a, it's a lot of like scripture as well, too. And it's a little confusing because they talk about duality, like one is two, but two is one. So one is two and, you know, all that. Yeah, you know, it's 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 an, it's an interesting read, but they do talk about the the practice of uh, meditation, and I think one of the things that one of the first things I like Googled when Google was like really uh, like uh, at at its prime was like, uh, what what is the goal of meditation? I think a lot of people like have kind of. Well, you'll get a lot of different answers to yes. that. Yes, and one of and one of the greatest answers I, I I had was that if you're trying to look for uh, like a result from meditation, then you're, then you've already kind of lost like the point of yeah. meditation. So in your practice dealing with meditation or your practical applications of meditation, what do you, what do you think it is for, for you? And what do you think a lot of people can, uh, if you, if you want to teach that to people? Well, for me, I mean, it's, it's just watching, just observing. Uh, so the tendency for our, our minds, when a thought comes in, we create an aversion to it or we have a craving for it. We want it to continue. If it feels good, we want it to continue forever. We want to repeat it and repeat it and, you know, become an addiction. Um, or we want to stay away from it. We'll do anything we can um, to let that thought come in again. We do all kinds of habits to, to numb ourselves so we don't have that thought come in again. So the goal is really just to watch, sit and watch, um, which is difficult, you know, it's a, it's, it's like a ping pong ball bouncing around in your head and it's one thought comes in soon as you start thinking about that, another one replaces it. Um, so you can start with a basic practice of just breathing through your nose 
and feeling the sensation. So every time a thought comes in, you bring your thought back to that sensation of the breath coming in and out of your nose. Or you could just focus on counting. That's a popular one. So, you know, one, I'm going to count to 10 and I'm going to count 10 breaths and you might get to two before something distracts you. And then just, you know, you just start again. Um, I, I did a couple 10 day meditation, uh, retreats back in, you know, somewhere in my twenties, um, silent meditation retreats. You, you know, go You're not off and, to like say anything, right? No. Wow. That was before cell phones too. So no, um, yeah. back then they're like, don't bring a pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, what am I going to do without my pen and paper? I do <laughs> I write all the time. So, um, but yeah, so you go in, you, you have no no contact no you know, no eye contact with anyone no eye contact yeah that's a big no no because um, there's all kinds of different ways you can dissipate that energy right so what they're trying to do is build energy and get you uncomfortable and what are you going to do with that energy you want to talk you want to do something with it you want to go do push-ups they didn't let me do yoga practice um, no you can't do push-ups you know you're dissipating the energy sit and watch it um, wow yeah, it's a little intense, and, and um, it brings up things that you had no idea were there. You, it brings up things that you squashed for years. Um, start thinking about stuff that happened when you were, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, a kid. You're four years old, and like, oh my gosh. Um, and you know, tears come, anger arises, um, the deepest sorrow, and then the greatest joy. Um, and then that's, that's the danger when you're in deep meditation. If you have this deep joy and you experience a, a, like a, just a, a little bit of the nirvana, um, you just don't want it to stop. You want to, and that's the craving, you know, that's, that's, um, another example. It could be a really positive thing in your life, but if you create, um, this real attachment to it, mm. it becomes, you know, mm -hmm. something that can, you know. That was one of the tenets of the Zen Buddhism thing. No attachment. Right. Okay. Yeah. But go on. Yeah. Um, no. So I want to hear more about the your Zen Buddhist background. <laughs> it wasn't really anything cr crazy. It was just like, hey, dad, mom, dad, what religion are, are, are we? Oh, you're Buddhist. That, that's all. It was it was nothing uh, official about it. Like, oh, so, yeah? Really? What does that mean? Okay, here's this book. I forgot. I forgot the book. But... Um, it was it was more so like they they I remember they stressed that oh it's it's more of like a philosophy as opposed as opposed to you know like an actual religion. I'm just going by like what, yeah you know my you understanding know? is the Buddha never wanted people to follow yeah. him. He wanted people to to rise with him. You know here's here's a path that you mm -hmm. can follow and you can have the same result. So um, it was more don't was, worship me. Yeah. You know, so just, it was it was more of like the the big thing about it was like the middle way, of like you know if you go to this extreme boom if you go to the other extreme boom just stay you know centered yeah in and the then middle. and then and then a lot of the things to it was it was also like just other like core tenets that share a lot with other religions as well to try not to poison your body you know keep that alcohol to a minimum try not to give into too much desire as as you were saying uh, especially uh, with the with the because oh desire you want more which could lead to addiction um the other practice when it came to uh, my eyes lit up when you were talking about counting meditation I that's your thing I, that, that that's my that's my method that i usually use i use i use a combination of breathing and meditation what i like to use i, I like to use a big number one 
And whenever like another thought comes into my mind, I use a, a number one to kind of like just shove it out. And the number one just kind of like stays in my mind. My problem is that getting older now, I tend to fall asleep when, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm attempting to meditate. Try, I think, try walking meditation. Mm, you know what I do? I, I use a guitar, like practicing guitar, playing guitar there meditation. You go. That's, that's what can end, end up happening. There's been, there's been moments like last year, I remember like that really frigid winter that we had. I would come downstairs and um, I would just start uh, playing early in the morning, just get some practice in. And then like uh, Jess would be like, hey, hon, it's it's almost time to go to work. I'm like, oh, sorry. And then I go, oh, it's so cold in here. <laughs> like I, I, I did not notice like how cold it was. Um, that's the true expression. Now yeah. that's, you know, meditation mm-hmm. should be, it's not something that like, Hey, I'm going to do, I'm going to meditate for 20 minutes a day. The, you know, these, these guys that I look up to, um, um, they're practicing it all day long. It's everything they do is a meditation. Um, I had a question for you. You were saying that there was no, you, you weren't even allowed to visually like interact with people. So did you just walk around said, I, I assume was it at like a, put the a, hoodie up and could a keep monastery your head down. or, Oh, keeping the head down. That's what it was. Yeah. Hoodie on and head down and just deal. That's the other big thing. I think, uh, when you were talking about it's when you were talking about having to deal with, uh, past memories or just other past emotion or just the past. Or whatever was going on. It doesn't even have to be the past. It's probably stuff that you had to worry about in the future, too. Oh, my taxes. I got to worry about so-and-so. It's got to be such a... If if other listeners are listening to, you know, this podcast right now, you would assume like a bunch of them are here and present in this information age where they're bombarded with, you know, the phone, social media, and, and maybe 20, like, when they're not sleeping... Yeah, pretty much when they're not sleeping, there's something on their mind, something, oh, yeah. anything on their mind. And if it's not something on their mind, they're like, they get jittery, they get jittery. And so you got to pick up the phone and, and, and check out like what's happening the, on the in The phone the world. is the enemy News. of meditation, <laughs> the smartphone. There is an app, though, that you can, you can yes. do meditation on your phone. Oh, now. meditation on the phone? Yeah, I forget what it's called, but um, it'll lead you through a guided meditation. You know, I'm sure there's a bunch of them now. Um, that seems counterintuitive. It does. I didn't. I, I tried it just to see what it was all about, uh-huh. but um, yeah, not for me. I thought you were going to mention. Jess has a, a, an app on her phone called Moment or Moments, where it tracks like you could like uh, say our Instagram or Facebook. You can track how much time you spent per day on like individual apps or on your phone overall, Yikes. and you can give yourself a goal too. So it'll like alert you at the end of the day: green, yellow, red. My um, goal is to f- put my phone down and yeah. forget where I put it for most of the day. <laughs> That's my goal with my phone. People will freak out, though. You notice it, too. No, I, no, I, they I, do. I was, they, I was even... The expectation uh, of... The, the funny uh, thing that happened uh, yesterday at class, Keon, uh, and he's going to be on the, on the podcast eventually soon, but he was joking oh, I can't how... I for that one. He was joking how he, he quote, lost his phone. He, was, he just kind of dropped it. And like for 20 minutes, he couldn't find his phone. And then he was like, oh my God, what if my mom calls? Oh my God, what if so-and-so calls? What, oh, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? I thought you were going to say he felt liberated. All of a sudden he was like, <laughs> I don't even need that phone. Why do I carry that around yeah. all the time? But, but no, I know what you mean. People expect an instant um, response. Not even an instant response. Especially but, if you run your but, own business, you know. But but just like but just like something on their mind at, at all times and not really being to let go. Like I dare everyone right now to after this podcast is done, leave your wallet, your phone and your keys, everything, and just go out with the clothes on your back and just sprint out of your house as far as you can mm-hmm. and see how far you can go before a thought comes into your head like, Oh shit, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> And you start getting really uncomfortable. Yes. And you start worrying about this and so and so, you know what I mean? 
Well, I mean, it's you see the state of the world. It's everybody, you know, the the things that you read in the news all day. It's a direct result of that state of mind. Everyone is frantically doing this and that and doing, doing, doing all the time. Like maybe just be a little bit more, be a human being, you know, just mm. be here right now and be present in the moment. Yeah. Let's try. Let's see what happens. You know, I think there would be a lot less uh, conflict in the world. Isn't it crazy that there are, you, you need, you, not that you need, but there are activities now that are specifically designed Maybe not specifically designed, but the goal of, let's say, a yoga or let's say meditate. Like, you have to train yourself to actually be present. Do you think that was always um, something that was innate in uh, human beings that kind of got trained out of them, or do you think it's it's something that is is has to be learned, has to be trained? I mean, yeah, I think you need technique for everything. So, yeah, our our minds, our operating system is that's inherent in your mind is it's, it's full of chatter. It just so happens that now, you know, we live in a digital age where that's, you know, um, such a big problem, but I don't think that's ever been different. You know, mm-hmm. uh, 5,000 years ago, somebody trying to sit and meditate was, was dealing with the same thing, just a different, um, set of this thoughts. This wolf is going to come get me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta hunt that wolf. I gotta, you know, so. right. Right. So with these, uh, practices of being in tune with yourself and obviously you can get that through physical um training whether it be a yoga whether it be a a martial art one would also argue too that instead of having to go the physical route you can probably do something a little uh, artistic so um i know that you consider yourself an artist as well too whether it be some type of craftsmanship whether it be, as you said, that you just had to write. What, what does art, how has that helped or how much has art impacted your life? Well, I mean, it's just who I am. It's how I perceive the world. Um, I've always, you know, just everything I see is art. I want to create things. I want to, um, I think it's just a way of, of looking at the world. Um, and some people are like, Oh, you know, you don't paint. So you're not a, a an artist. It's like, well, you know, come on. This now. was on Adam's podcast too. Was it? It was, it was a part where he was talking about like, he does like skateboarding and snowboarding exactly. and he considers that his form of artistic That's expression. Right, yeah. yeah. And then he was like in the class and they're like, Oh, everyone here, but you as an artist He's like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? I snowboard. And it goes, no, here people paint. And yeah, they it's write. a way of expressing it's like, fuck you, man. It's a way of you're expressing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's just a, it's a way that you you see the world as well. Um, I see art in everything that I, I look at. You know, when the when the sun uh, shines on things, it changes it every time. Mm-hmm. It changes texture. It changes um, your perception of it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, art is everything. Art is art is life. I mean, so, I, I think everybody is an artist. They just need to let it come out. So it's a form of self-expression then as far as like whatever is internal inside you to just kind of get it out there, whether it be something in a uh, creative aspect, whether it be something in uh, like just pure production or pure uh, martial art, if it's something physical. Um, what is your like preferred avenue? Do you like to create like actual physical objects? Do you like to write uh, stories? Do you like to go ahead? Uh, well, like right now it's concrete tile, uh, concrete, mm-hmm. 
concrete art basically. Uh, but you know, body movement, um, I think artistic expression through body movement is, is always a constant for me, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's yoga, whether it's, um, you know, running, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, right now, concrete art, you, you've got a coaster sitting on your table. That, yes, that, that's a wonderful uh, gift from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was part of the, the latest line. Um, so that's, that's a play on texture. I wanted to see how much texture I could get um, in concrete. Hmm. So basically, like if you, if you go, if you look at a form, like they build a bridge and use plywood forms, and I noticed that it was picking up the grain of the wood. And I was mm. like, wow, that's pretty cool. I'd, think most people walk by that and probably never noticed that but i'm sitting here like wow like i wonder how much i could get that to translate so i started taking reclaimed barn wood um some of it really gnarly and and see what i could pull off of it and concrete is just such a a difficult um chemistry experiment in Mm -hmm. itself um probably uh you know should have a little bit of a chemistry background if you want (laughs) to get concrete to work out properly i mean if of course you could you could pour a slab and make it work but if you want to pick up really good detail on it mm-hmm. um it's a little challenging so uh i've been playing around with that for probably two years now wow i think i got it got it down pretty good now mm-hmm. uh, but yeah i'm gonna play around the next the next series is gonna be uh plant um leaves plants and barks and that kind of stuff so we'll see where that goes within the tile right yeah so interesting i spent a lot of time in the woods um mm-hmm. You know, recently sitting up in tree stands, I'm sure we'll talk about that yeah. too, bow hunting. So, um, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the woods and um, there's a lot of texture. There's a lot going on in leaves that, um, again, it's like they fall, you know, at this time of year and people are like, oh, pretty colors. But then if you hold that up to the light and you start seeing the veins that go through this, um, I want to try to pick that up on concrete. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the next, you know, I've already done a few, but trying to perfect it still. Now, how does, what is that thought process that goes through your mind? You just see something, you just see inspiration and you go, I got to get that out somehow. I have to try and, uh, um, create this, not even in an image, but actually capture it in something in a physical form. Is that what it is? Is that, is yeah, that like, well, a, I think, I think what it is is in the process of trying to get that end result. I learned so much about, you know, unexpected things along the way. Um, I start learning about plant identification, you know, how many different types of oak trees there are. It's like, it's, it's a learning experience. So, um, not sure where I'm going with this. No, uh, I I can kind of see what you're going with this because it's a bit of like, as an artist, you need to, uh, not, you don't need to, but it's very, uh, important for an artist to take whatever is in their surroundings in their surrounding environment and you kind of act like as the filter uh and you you as an individual yourself act as that filter so whatever uh is produced from you has your mark yeah. on it and in that process you get you are acting as that filter you probably pull in things that you've never experienced before as you were just mentioning something like with plants yeah and in that pro- and then and then you probably get also uh, uh, that drive of learning yet even more, but with ultimately that end product is, is somehow that learning adjusts you as a filter 
so that end product comes out even better. That's what's cool about art. I mean, everybody has their own expression. Everyone's going to put a little bit different play on it. And like, let's see what you can do with that. Like, I'm going to give you the same materials mm -hmm. and, and see what you come up with. And I'm going to learn something about you based on what you make. Um, and, and I think that, again, it's art, art is such a great way to bring people together. Like, if you want to do a cool activity and you're like, all right, we're tired of sitting around drinking beer every time. Like, let's make some art together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> those, are, those are the best times, you know, and you, you learn more about that person um, by what they, what they put out. Um, and then maybe you talk about why did you do it that way? And um, it's just, it's a learning process. It's all about learning, I think. And that's, that's, that's what life is about for me. I just want to, I want to know everything. <laughs> yes. What do you say to someone, and let's just say for you, Warren, that let's just say he's uh, Warren was born with two right thumbs and he can't quote draw for shit or he can't for whatever reason he he can't play Find guitar. Find out what he can do then. You know what I mean? But what what if what if there's have you run into people who just say I I I'm just not an artistic person or oh, so, oh, many, so many people I'm, say I'm that. not I'm not a creative person. So what do you say to that? But they just don't know that they are. They have blockages. So that you know it leads you back to the technique of of you know yoga or meditation or any of that. There's techniques you can do um, that will open you up to that. Um, I think everybody is an artist at their core. Everybody's creative at their core. It's, it's a trait of all humans. Um, they just might have some blockages, probably um, the mental chatter that they, they've been telling themselves their whole lives. I'm not creative. I'm not this. Or they'll draw a picture and, and somebody didn't like it, so then they have this scar that says... Well, if I draw something and it's not good enough, make then, fun of me. Yeah, you know, it's it's they create this scar, and it's uh, it's unfortunate. So you shouldn't really be making it for anybody else. Just make it to express. Let let that energy come out. Um, yeah, I think everybody should should be doing some sort of creative expression. Do you think these type of lessons that you are? Um, uh, so the uh, detailing so well as far as uh, being able to have self-introspection, being able to uh, um, work on um, focusing on your mind to better be in tune with yourself and everything around you with nature and with other people. Is this something that how would you like what would be a, a, an outline or what are like, what would be like the first things you would say to, let's say Warren when he can start communicating or when he's like five years old or 10 years old, as far as what would your role be in getting him to be artistic or helping to find that creative outlet? Is this, is this something where you, where you actually have to, there is a bit of discipline where you have to like start pushing them into a certain direction or steering them? Or is it something where you, uh, uh, you, 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 it's, it's a lot more hands off and you let them do what they have to do. You're saying like, if you, if you want to get him to be more creative and artistic, is that what you're saying? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I think it starts with a conversation. What, with him, uh, what's he interested in? Um, what makes him tick? What makes him feel good? Um, he likes chewing on things. <laughs> well, right now it's going to be different. He likes trying 10. to find electrical sockets and <laughs> putting his fingers in them. <laughs> of course. So um, I got you. Yeah, I mean, I think where where is he at? What makes him feel good? And, mm -hmm. and take it from there. I don't think uh, you can't impose um, any. Or can thing. you? Mm, yeah, you could try, but it's going to backfire. Um, I, it I, semi backfired on me already. I was I was I was 
I was put into piano lessons. Oh, right. That's right. I was put into them. I wanted, I wanted to play football or, or I wanted to do karate. And I was like, ah. Nah. Well, luckily, I mean, I think you had a positive end to that. You're still into music. It's not like you rebelled against, like, I hate music. I'm never going to. I had to discover it on my own. It, it had to be, like I said, uh, my friend gave me a, a Metallica tape in freshman year of high school. That's how long it took before like, I found something like, oh, Metallica this really classic spoke to me. Piano. Yes. Like, that's exactly, I, I went from classical piano to like, I am stopping playing classical piano because this is not going to get me anywhere. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I, I want to be a metalhead. That's, that's how it started for me. So I, I guess that's why it's a, it, it, it's a question that, Different people have so far in this podcast have answered like differently as well too. It's 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 interesting hearing your take as well. Of hey, I have a kid. I hear that you know art is great for them. Martial arts is great for them. This is great for them. Uh, what do I do? And some people are like, leave them alone. Others are like, you know, sometimes you just gotta uh, throw them in the deep end. Not yeah. literally throw them in the deep end, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't know that you can just completely leave it alone. I, I'm obviously there needs to be some encouragement and pushing. Um, you know, some people need to get pushed a little harder than others, and that's you know where the throw them in the deep end thing. Like you know, what about you? Were you the type of person that needed to be that needed uh, a little bit of like a kick in the butt, or were you always like, oh, I here's something I'm gonna do it. Yeah, I mean a little bit of both. I can okay. think it depends. Um, you know, I wish maybe I had somebody that pushed me a little harder to stick with things like, you know, like wrestling. Like I didn't have the support um, that I needed. You know, I was an immature kid. It was like, yeah, I want to do this. But like if I had somebody that was like really pushed me to do it, um, you know, I think that would have been good for me at the time. Hey, Mike's wrestling coach, you failed. Man. <laughs> it wasn't the coach. <laughs> it was my loser father. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, I think parents uh sometimes they push a little too hard sometimes mm. they don't push at all i think you gotta you would encourage your kids obviously to go out of their comfort zone i think if you leave them alone they're, they're gonna find what their comforts are and maybe stay a little too um shallow you know maybe not dive deep enough into things that that they're interested in that are good for them um maybe they just need a little bit more support in that area to, mm -hmm. to you know so they believe that they can do it um so, but not too hard. You know, you don't want to drive them to be. You got to you know, calibrate. Yeah, you, you balance. Can't, you can't like, hit them with the kendo stick like the Koreans do <laughs> in old school Taekwondo training over and over. Oh, they did that. Unless, to us. Oh, they did. Oh yeah, in Taekwondo, it was. What did they do? Go into your stance, and they would, you know, they would hit the front leg with. Um, I forget what you called the Boken stick, right? Not, not that actually the hard one, the one that was bamboo that would flex a little bit. But they'd hit your front leg with it. I thought it was a kendo stick. Uh, I thought Ken they called kendo, them kendo stick. stick. That's right. Yes. I'm sorry. It's yeah. a, it's, it's a prior, it's one of the secondary weapons in uh, WWE when they, you know, they go under the ring. Oh, I got to get into this, man. Sometimes, like sometimes the, the majority of times a steel chair, every once in a while is a kendo stick. You got me interested in pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a, it would be an easy transition because you already are used to UFC promos, which they rip off of WWE promos anyway. So, um, where was I going with this? Jesus Christ. Pushing your kids. Pushing your kids. Classical piano, Metallica. Um... Oh, that was that was the other uh, question before I, I go on a completely different tangent. You, as I was asking before, you have creative outlets that have uh, so far resulted in something uh, physical and tangible. Has there any, has there been anything as far as like, just say like uh, words, music, or um, uh, something where uh, there are people out there I know who say, "Oh, I got to do this because I got to make something with my hands," mm -hmm. versus 
someone who like sings or someone who yeah i'm more of a hands-on guy you're more of a hands-on guy yeah i like to make stuff yeah tables you know you know my house like I, every, I gotcha. everything in my house i made was there what was is it just because of a preference or did you uh was there any foray into let's say spoken word or speech or or singing or anything that just didn't i just never got into well. that i yeah. gotcha yeah never my thing that's weird because my my thing was that I was was about I guess it's because like from the very get go I was like thrown into piano so it was not like all right here's I'm producing sound and then like it just got used to that. Yeah, no, I guess you know never was my thing. I it's like I like to just make things. I like to uh, stay busy with that kind of thing. So with this connection with life, with this connection with yourself and uh, your artistic ability and the focus, and also being able to fight as well, too. You decided that that wasn't enough for you, and then you eventually went into a foray into bow hunting, as oh, yeah. you had mentioned before. Why don't you start from wherever you would like to with that? Uh, yeah, bow hunting, man. It's kind of a new thing for me. Uh, two years ago, you know, I, I was 39, so I was thinking a lot about turning 40, thinking a lot about, oh my God, here I'm, I'm, I'm almost 40. And midlife like, crisis? Was this a midlife, kind of? You know, <laughs> sure. <laughs> crisis. It was a, a midlife awareness, we'll say. Okay. Of like some things that maybe I was neglecting, some things that I was hearing a lot of, I wish I would have, I, you know, I always wanted to do this. And so I sort of made a list and I was like, you know, bow hunting just kept coming up was like, that's just so cool. Like, I just want to do that. That just seems cool. So I started learning about it and then I set a goal and I said, you know, when I turn 40, I'm going to buy a bow and, uh, didn't realize they're so expensive <laughs> <laughs> and then all the accessories that go with it. But, uh, so yeah, I set the goal and I said, I want to, you know, it, it, what it, what it really was is like, I was eating meat. I was, I used to be a vegetarian and, mm -hmm. um, didn't work for me. I was vegetarian for a solid year, um, to, just to give it a try. And then sort of sporadically for maybe another couple of years, didn't eat a whole lot of meat. Uh, then I wound up having a job on a farm that my job was to butcher chickens. Mm -hmm. So I stopped eating meat again <laughs> <laughs> uh. due to that. And, um, and, you know, so I got older and I, you know, for health reasons, I felt like I wasn't recovering with a vegetarian diet. Um, so I, I started eating meat again. And I feel good about that. It's, it's not ethically a problem for me. But um, what was sort of a problem was that, like, somebody else was killing my food for me. And they were taking this animal and just putting it into a form that was very different from its original life form. Um, and they're presenting it to me and saying, just, you know, throw it on the grill and there's your food. Um, I just felt like I couldn't really take myself seriously unless I could go out in the woods and was willing to kill this thing and gut it and butcher it and put it on my own plate. Uh, so that's what started the whole thing. And, and it just came to fruition two weeks ago. I got my first deer, finally. Lots of hours put into that one. Um, so yeah, I bought the bow, went out into, uh, if you're familiar with Delaware Water Gap. It's somewhat. Yeah, it's, so if you, if you drive all the way to the river, it's the last mm -hmm. exit in New Jersey. And Delaware Water Gap's actually a town in PA. But I hunt on the Jersey side. So it's a, it's a national, um, what is it, a national forest, I guess. Uh, it's not a national park. But um, some rugged land. Lots of people don't like to hunt there because it's just kind of a rough, rough go. You got to go back in real far. There's a lot of elevations, lots of rocks. And, 
And come to find out there's plenty of bear as well. So you have to be a somewhat experienced hiker as well. in order. To Which continue. I am. Yeah. I did a lot okay. of the, the Appalachian trail. I did over, okay. over a thousand miles on that trail. So at, wow. at once. Um, so yeah, I, I've spent a lot of time hiking. So it, that part came natural. Um, with bow hunting, you spend a lot of time scouting, you more time scouting and trying to figure out where the deer are traveling, you know, where you're going to set up, where the prevailing winds are. You've got to figure all this stuff out. You can't just go in, you know, I'm not hunting in the county park where the deer come up to you and mm-hmm. eat out of your hand. I'm hunting deer that are, um, that have predators. They, they're, they're on edge. They, um, they, that if like they pick up your scent, they're gone. Right. Or, Oh yeah. And, and their scent, uh, their, their senses are way better than ours. Um, you're in their environment. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, they can smell me from two miles away. Oh and Jesus. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of frightening when you start learning more about what they can do. Um, it really makes you appreciate, um, our limitations of how we perceive the world. They perceive smell, um, way better than the best dog. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's a challenge, you know, they, they have the advantage and, um, you know, we're not, ta- we're not talking about gun hunting where you can scope it from, you know, hundreds of yards away and just pick it off, you know, like that. This, this is 15 yards away from me. Um, hopefully, you know, and also the physical aspect of you actually handling the bow. Yeah. I mean, it's bow hunting is, uh, you know, you have to practice and practice and practice shooting the bow. Um, you have to perfect your technique and it's all about repeating that, repeating that draw perfectly every time. And that's, you know, talking about meditation, Hmm. um, it's a Zen practice. So every time you pull that bow back, you have to pull it back the same way. You have to have the same, um, we, we pick a few points, um, like the string wants to hit the corner of your mouth. You want the string to hit the bridge of your nose. You want your draw hand to touch something. It might be the back of your, your neck, um, depending on, you know, your height or your reach or whatever. It's, it's different for everyone. So you have to find these, these contact points and make them the same every time. And if you do that, you're going to hit the target every time and trying to hit like a quarter size. I'm not trying to hit, you know, a, a 10 inch bullseye. I'm trying to hit a quarter three times in a row. Um, and that's, that's all, is that with all variables being equal? Do you have to account for like a, a elevation wind speed? Kind yeah, of like a, that changes things too. What yeah. you're wearing, you know, if you practice in short oh. sleeves, that's a big thing I found out the hard way. So practicing, you know, during the summer, I'm shooting every day in short sleeves and shorts and flip flops. Then in the middle of winter, you get geared up and you have this bulky, you know, stuff on changes everything. Hmm. Um, you know, that, that string is probably going to hit your, your sleeve on your arm. Um, you're going to pull a little differently. And the thing is you don't usually perceive that you're pulling differently. You're like, Oh, I'm doing it the same way, but you're not. That's the practice. You have to be super aware of every little thing you're doing so you can recreate it. Um, so if you picked up my bow, you wouldn't be able to hit a target with it most likely because, you know, we're a few inches different in height. Our reach is different. You're, you can line the sights up, but it's not going to line up for your body. I'm I'm also a lefty too. So I'd have to like, Oh yeah, exactly. So, but go on. Yeah. So the bow is very specific to the individual. Mm -hmm. 
um, you have to go to a bow store and have it set up specifically for you. Um, oh, and most importantly, I'm not a bow hunter, so <laughs> I'll probably pick up. Oh, where do I, what, what, how do I, wait, where do I? Anyway. We're going to turn you into a bow hunter, maybe. <laughs> we're going to take you out next year, see how it goes. So, where were we? Um, archery. So, it's, it's, you, um, you were just finished talking about how, uh, um, with all the winter gear on, it's totally different than uh, practicing in the summer. Yeah, and then, you know, if you get a good crosswind coming in, I mean, the bows, the bows that are on the market right now, um, they're super fast. So, it, what do you mean by super fast? Super fast they, as in draw, or they're super fast as they shot? They shoot really fast. So, when you let it go, that arrow is, is, um, is at a high velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that corrects some of your mistakes. Um, so, technology, again, you know, I mean, if you went back 25 years ago, you had to be a little bit better at it, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like digital photography. It's like, you know, kind of fixes a lot of the, the mm-hmm. things that you might have made mistakes on. So the bows are fast. You know, if um, y- you can make a few minor mistakes and still hit, hit what you're trying to hit. Um, so y- you have to get really good at archery first if you're going to try to kill this deer because you don't want to hit the deer in the, in, in the butt and let it run and, you know, suffer. And you, you want to hit it through the heart or, or hit it through both lungs. You want this. So it's like one shot, one kill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you want it to, you want it to be an efficient kill. Because you see in like movies or you see in like video games, it's like, like, and then like the boat and the arrow is still sticking out of the, you know, the animal well, like ideally through. Uh, no, ideally it should go all the way through. Really? Yeah. Just in and out, just like in actually one, full in penetration. one side out the other. Yeah. Wow. Through both lungs would be great. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's a lot of power going into that. Into like how, how big is the boat too? Not, not the boat, the arrow. How big is the arrow? Um, it depends on your height. So you're, okay. again, like you're... If you draw, um, your, your arrows, um, you know, I forget, I think they're like 27 inches, something like that. Jeez. You know, so you want it to extend a little past where it's resting on the bow. You mm-hmm. don't want it to be, you know, a shorter arrow is going to shoot faster. A longer yeah. arrow is going to be a little bit more stable. You decide the trade off of what you want. But the other thing you have to realize is that you have a razor sharp tip on this arrow. And okay. if you pull back. If it's too close to your hand, you have mm-hmm. the danger of it bouncing off your hand, which Jeez. that happened to me when I was a kid, by the way. Uh, learned the hard way on that one. Um, so Because you, you think about like a bullet, like a bullet is easy to think about like penetrating full through, uh, you know, like ballistic material or, or flesh because it's it's just a bullet. Like you can you can see that go through because it's short and it's like a little projectile. Everyone's been tuned to, to see that. But then you think about like, something along like a spear or in this case an arrow where it's got a lot longer length Mm -hmm. and you see a bunch of movies or you know you watch like game of thrones and when they're shooting arrows oh it gets stuck in in the person rarely you ever see shots in like those type of movies where it's full you know penetration through and now you're also talking about like as he said both lungs like this is this is not just uh one shot and like you know the the bow sticking out of them kind of like a cupid arrow yeah, and like uh, oh, no. adrenaline you know when when they get hit um adrenaline takes over and they uh-huh. will sprint okay um regardless like the you know the two weeks ago it went right through the heart um and it sprinted and i was like oh, that's amazing what adrenaline can do um you know the the deer maybe went 25 yards and and that was it collapsed mm-hmm. but um it still amazes me that they can even recover from that and 
and take off. But uh, and that's the whole other thing. You have to find the deer after you hit it. Yeah, we're 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 some we're somewhat like jumping ahead and ju- and jumping back. I think we were. And we're, we're all at, over the place. Yeah, we're all over the place. Let's 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 go back to uh, we were winter gear that you've adjusted and now you've learned after uh, um, shooting in the summer. Now yeah, we, well, the season depends. You know, it depends on what county you're in. There, there's a lot of laws in New Jersey. With I'm sure it's with every state, but I only know about New Jersey. Um, different counties, different, you know, zones, different laws, and they make it really confusing. It's like almost intentional how confusing they make the, the laws. Um, you know, like you can't shoot this, but you can, but you can't, but you, you know, in this situation you can. And so the first year I was just trying not to break the law. I was like, I don't want to get in trouble for doing something. I'm I'm just trying to meet my goal here. So, Mm -hmm. um, so the season goes from September till February. So you have a pretty good okay. range of weather there. It's like it start, you start off and you got bugs in your face. And when you're finishing, you're sitting up there with icicles, you know, hanging off your tree stand. So, so you have to you, practice in all that different. Um, so when you say tree stand, you're actually, you go in, you rough it and you find a spot and you actually climb a tree. And then like, how far up are you? Well, there's a big debate on that too. Okay. Um, you know, I, I suppose with anything, uh, everyone has an opinion and, you know, oh, I, sh- I only go 10 feet off the ground and that's good enough, you know. But the other thing is a lot of people are using crossbows now. So that's, that's um, you know, a you little, have a little, uh, speaking of technology. I personally think that's, unfair you know, yeah, it's like, I don't know about that. But, you know, hey, if that's your thing, that's yeah. cool. But it's not for me. I think it's pretty much just like a gun. Um you have a scope on it and oh really yeah it's kind of you don't have to have the same precision of archery you know Mm -hmm. it's it's not really archery but anyhow um so where was i uh tree stand tree stands yes so height um some people go 10 feet off some people go 15 um currently mine's 30 feet off the ground which is like has its advantages and its disadvantages it makes for a more difficult shot um I'm not going to claim to be good at geometry, but um, it's uh, like if you're up um, up in a stand, you're, you're trying to create a 90 degree angle between your extended arm that's that's touching your bow and, and your side ribs. You want a 90 degree angle. So mm-hmm. if you're up in a tree and you're shooting down, your tendency is going to be to lower that front Just arm. Just lower the arm. Yeah, change the angle. Straight. But you're going to uh. shoot over top of your arm your target if you do that so you gotta you gotta keep your whole body in line yes with it all right so for for everyone listening home if you're if you're sitting or just standing if you, i think what mike's trying to say is that you can just if you stick your arm straight out right now as if you're doing like you know a, a gun uh you know motion and then like you see something lower on the ground that's all right <laughs> i got good, i got nice that's sensitive tea. mics yes <laughs> um and you lower your the gun and you just kind of like point it at the ground, you'll notice that you just like lower your arm. But what Mike's trying to, I think what Mike's trying to say is that if you raise your gun and your arm at the same time, now you have to, and with a bow, you have to actually have to like bend at the hip. So yes. your, your entire upper body follows. And I guess that's where the yoga comes into play as well too. Yeah. It's like right? trikonasana pose. It's the same thing. So, um, so the higher you are and especially like, uh, they get closer and closer to you. Like, oh fuck! I really have to like. Uh, like yeah, that's over. the other thing. If they're yeah. 15 yards away from your tree and you're 30 feet up in the air, that's, yeah. a, that's a difficult shot. That's um, a that's a yeah a, a, a what is it a sharper angle? 
Yeah, definitely. As opposed to something where it's like flatter, like a 180. <clears throat> yeah. So, but the advantage of being 30 feet up is they can't smell you. Ah. Um, they can't see you. So, and I'm sure somebody's going to disagree with me. You know, like, mm-hmm. they, like, oh, they can still smell you. Like, they can smell you on the way in. Uh, but from my experience so far, they have no idea I'm there. If I'm 30 feet up in the air. Last year, I was maybe 20, mm-hmm. and they totally knew I was there. Uh-huh. So I Jeez. think there's a real fine line. Um, if you look at the, like how they can see the, the, uh, the vision, like basically the peripheral vision is way better than ours. They see a, a much broader angle of sight than we do. Um, and they pick up motion really well. Mm-hmm. So like this, the slightest thing, you go to scratch your head, they'll notice the motion. They, they don't see it as clearly um, crisp detail, but they see movement really well. I hear that. Uh, do you wear camo as well, too? Yeah, and that's another debate. You don't oh. necessarily need camo. Okay. Um, there's there's still a debate, I think, even between scientists of like what colors deer can see. And also kind of like uh, the, the type of camo doesn't even have to be colors, but it, it can be something where they have a, a, a technology. I, I don't have it in, in front of me as far as an image, but it's like edge detection. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has like these weird patterns on the camo where it's like if you if you step into the woods you you can you can still I can still see you but as far as like the edges of where right. you are like the outline of your body is not there right you're just trying to break up the solid is yeah. what you're trying to do so that's the point of camo you're trying to just make um, make this one solid object seem like a bunch of shimmering leaves you mm-hmm. know sort of thing like so a, like the predator exactly like, like the, the predator you know predator. it's funny I was just gonna say that it's like it's Go exactly on. like the predator nice yeah. Um, we all grew up with that movie. Yep. Except you don't. You don't have like that nice uh, infrared vision to see. I, I the, oh, if you only did. Wouldn't and that, that little. And then a little like you know uh, uh, tracking like homing device thing that he's able to do. Uh huh. Anyway. And deer can see pretty well in the dark as well. Oh, really? So that's the challenge. Last year I did a bunch of sun um, sunrise hunts. Um, so I'm going in an hour and a half before the sunrise comes up. Are you? Oh. So, so are you using night vision at all or no, no. no Cause they see all that. Like, I mean, imagine. So like oh, you if you were like a deer sitting in the woods, <laughs> like here's your living room and you're like, you're just chilling and you're like, I know the sun's going to come up in an hour and a half. And I know these stupid hunters kind of try to sneak in, you know, gotcha. they know. So they, they see it coming from a mile away. They'll see, mm-hmm. they'll see your light. So, um, I try to go more when it's like full moon, you know? So you're telling me I can't take Instagram selfies of myself as uh <laughs> You could, but you probably, you could, you probably uh, have to turn off the flash. Lower your odds of getting a deer that day. <laughs> okay, so your was this the, the first hunt where you were up, as you said, twenty feet, right? Is there well, is there any reason why you didn't just do do bow hunters go like ground level as well? Did yeah, just like Yeah, I actually started um on the ground. Okay. Um because Again, I was spending so much money. <laughs> I was like, okay. this bow cost way more than I thought it would have. Um, and then, of course, I had to get a better sight for the bow, and I had to get a better rest for the bow, and then I had to get better arrows and better tips, and, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't spend any more money on this. So when I started... You should just start a podcast, Mike. You can just talk right into your uh, voice memo on the iPhone. That's all you need to do. Give it to me. I'll upload it for you. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> so I started the first couple times I hunted was on the ground and people were like, you're, you know, you're wasting your time. You're not going to there, you know, so you, you just don't have any cover. Like as soon as they come up on you, um, it's like you better pull that shot really fast because the, the odds of them seeing you is pretty great. 
Um, and of course you're on the level of their smell now. So when I was saying I'm 30 feet up, there's the wind is different up there. So, um, you know, when you're on the ground, they're totally smelling you and you're, you're going to get pegged. Um, so I wasn't very successful. I mean, I had a few come in, um, but just, you know, never settled down. They just immediately alerted. So I invested in a tree stand and went up, you know, about 20 feet, like I said, um, which was okay, but I think they still, they could still tell I was there. So this year I went up higher and, uh, maybe 30 ne- this time, right? Yeah. Maybe next year I'll, I'll settle on 25. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I think I'm a little too high up right now. Okay. But you know, just because it's a, a sharp angle and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, and it is dangerous too. I mean, the, I do have a um, a safety harness, but I mean, still, it's yeah. like if I fell with that safety feet. harness on, it would it would not be good. Side um, tangent. You know what I learned yesterday about uh, falling from great heights? <laughs> that uh, this this is what uh, some of my friends were were telling me because Warren had recently almost like sitting up in his crib. And then I was hearing stories about other kids like, oh, when they didn't lower the crib, uh, you know, the, the mattress in the crib, they were able to ca- crawl out and then fall out of the crib. I heard, I was hearing uh, uh, claims that a baby can fall out of like two stories. It'd be totally fine. Soft bones, man. They bounce. Really? That's what I was told. I, I even told this to Jess and Jess was like, no, really? Well, I, I don't think anybody wants to try. I don't, don't want to try that either. But apparently, you know, if, uh, uh, if, if you gave Warren, I guess, a, a bow and, a, and an arrow right now in your 30 foot tree stand, he should be all right. right? Yeah. Doesn't need the safety harness. I don't anyway. want, I don't want to find out. Anyway, please. Uh, we'll wait until he's like 10, 12, maybe, <laughs> but please go on. Um, so where are we going? I'm not sure. So we're, we're hunting, we're, we're, we're hunting. And did you, you, you said you didn't have any, uh, successes in at, at, uh, zero feet up. You didn't have any, you didn't even see, uh, see any deer. You didn't get oh, a, a I saw shot deer. Up? Oh, okay. Yeah. I saw them. Uh, just, just like I, they, they never settled down enough. Um, they, what they do you mean by settled down. They come in just alert and they don't stop moving and they're always, um, uh, they're just super on alert. They're mm-hmm. not coming in, uh, relaxed. Um, so, so a perfect shot for you with me, they come in relaxed. They have no idea you're there and they just kind of like yeah. just stand perfectly still. Yeah. Yeah. How long, how long are they static for? Not long. I mean, younger deer tend to make more mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've seen some incredible things. The, the mother deer, like the, the mothers tend to females, tend to hang together um summertime they all kind of hang together and then Mm -hmm. mating time the males break off and fight each other and try to find a mate and all that and then they'll they'll sort of herd up again when the food gets scarce and when they're done mating but um anyhow the the female um interestingly will almost always have twins which i think is pretty cool interesting yeah um not always but um yeah twins and most of the time seems to be that they're female. So there's a lot of female deer hanging around. Um, I've seen mother deers, like I, I, like I would have a, a younger one coming in and the mother will come and nudge the younger one and be like, yeah, what are you doing? You know, you're about to get shot. Don't you see the hunter up in the tree? You know, like she's already spotted me and she knows what's going on. Her tail is keep flipping moving, and keep moving. Yeah. She like herds them in. So, um, yeah, it's so a younger ones make mistakes, you know, and mm-hmm. as they get older, they just get way more cautious mm-hmm. and they, it's a nocturnal animal as well. So, okay. 
you know, you see deer, but, um, in the daytime, but they're primarily a nocturnal animal. They get up a few times. They don't, it's not like they sleep for, you know, eight hours straight. They're getting up, um, every couple hours to, you know, go urinate or go find some food, get a little snack, just move around a little bit. That's when you see them. Um, but their main activity is, is at night nocturnal. Mm -hmm. So what'll happen is when the hunting season, you start pressuring them a little bit, they just go full nocturnal and it's, it's almost like comical. Like I was out Friday night. Um, and, uh, it's like, they know I'm there. Okay. Okay. So I sort of generally know where they're bedding down, but I don't know for sure. They change their bedding area all the time. So Mm -hmm. this day they may be here. They may be there. Um, so as soon as I gave up for the night and I was like, the sun's going down, I start climbing out of my ladder. All of a sudden, all the deer pop up and they're like, oh, you're done. All right, good. We're not getting shot. We can come out and mess with you now. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it just happened Friday. Like, jeez. So, yeah, I think that they just, I mean, I know that they start mm-hmm. learning your patterns and, and they figure you out and they start um, avoiding. They're a lot smarter than people think they are. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's given me a whole new appreciation and um, respect for them, you know? Well, yeah, you're you're staring down uh, a life form, something with two eyes and, and, you know, ears and can move. And you're attempting to end that. Yeah, it's a heavy moment. Like yeah. when you decide to draw your bow and it's a heavy moment, it's a decision you have to make and say, am I, am I prepared to take this life? It's it's a it's a serious thing that you got to be ready to do because there's a lot of emotion and um, it's that deer's life whether you know you think or somebody else thinks it's insignificant it's life mm-hmm. you know um, in any form is precious so when when you're responsible for taking that it's um, it's something that has to be done with a lot of respect um, the uh, you know I always say a prayer when I go up in the stand um, you know set good intentions and. And let let the you know let the universe know my intentions of why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to high five my buddy on the way out. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm I'm here to be humbled, and uh, most likely I'm here to have deer run circles around me, and you know just freeze my ass off up in yep. a tree stand. But um, you know, two weeks ago it, it it happened for me. Everything fell into place, and um, you know the first thing I did is I got on my hands and knees, put my hand um, you know on on the on the chest of the deer. And, um, and said a prayer and thank you. And it's just a lot of hard work. And, uh, I felt like it was an offering. It was an accumulation of like two years, right? Yeah, dude. Hundreds of hours. I was actually counting up the hours. I don't want to be like exaggerating, but like I counted up the hours the other day of like an estimate of how many hours I think it took to get my first deer. How long? How many hours? I'm approaching 175 hours of actually sitting in the woods. That's not counting the scouting (laughs) um you know it may have happened faster for me if i had friends that were bow hunters because Mm -hmm. i did this all on my own i didn't know what i was doing i made tons of mistakes and i still am making mistakes i'm still just totally green at this um so if i had been with a group of guys that taught me how to bow hunt Mm -hmm. you know maybe i wouldn't have spent 175 hours um but but what made you do it this way as opposed to... Uh, you know, I like to do things the hard way. I don't know. No. Uh, you know, I just didn't know anybody that bow hunted, you know? Okay. I, was, I was asking around and, and everyone's like, what, are you crazy? You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't do that. Yeah. And um, 
so I just, you know, thank God for YouTube. I just started learning and like hmm. come home from jujitsu. And like a lot of times, like I'll watch, you know, jujitsu. Um, that's like, like Mike got me into uh, like after class. I come home and just watch world championship black belt matches, you know, uh -huh. just to get it ingrained, you know, yeah. just to see their movement and like just fall asleep with that in my head. Mm -hmm. um, so I sort of replaced that with like watching deer, like how to hunt deer, how to track them and. That's the thing. You can't just go in the woods and like hope a deer is going to walk past you. You yeah. know, there's, um, you have to find them and know where they're living and know where they're feeding. And, um, that's, that's not counted toward the 175 hours Jeez. of sitting up there. So that's all summer long going for hikes and say, you know, Hey honey, we're going to go for a hike today and look for deer. <laughs> and oh, thank God my wife is, you know, yeah. so into that. She's been super supportive. Uh -huh. Um, thankfully, um, you know, she's, she's supported it the whole way. It's 175 hours. So yeah, of course, uh, that's, uh, Jess, that's more hours than you've spent playing Stardew Valley. I just want to, you know, <laughs> and uh, a lot of you gamers out there, I'm pretty sure you only invested a hundred hours into a game. Well, I don't know in any case. Uh, so this was, this like first deer, first shot, first kill, or was this no. a culmination of some, so what was the. What was your first shot? First shot. I mean, actually, the first day, the first hour that I went hunting, I got, I got a shot. Nice. And I missed. Um, definitely rushed it. Like I said, I was on the ground. Okay. Um, it was a sunrise hunt. So I think the sun was like maybe up for half an hour. You know, so it's still, it's not like super bright out yet. And it was misty that, that morning. Um deep in the woods you know so it's not like i'm in a field i was deep in the woods where it's still mm -hmm. a little bit dark um buck just came walking up it was like a you know a, a unicorn it could have it was uh -huh. like so like i can't believe this is happening yeah because i remember just sitting there being like okay now what you uh -huh. know i'm sitting here like you know like a dumbass i just got up at three o'clock in the morning and like drove an hour and a half to get here and then i spent 45 minutes hiking in and um and now I'm sitting here getting crawled on with bugs and like, now what? Um, and just up walks a deer. And I was like, holy shit. Um, pulled a shot. I just rushed it. And, uh, I, you know. It, Got it, excited. Yeah. It, it actually were was. The a, were the logistics good, though? Like, as far as, like, how you were set up was. Yeah. Like, I think if I got to repeat that now, that it, I would have taken that deer home with me. Yeah. yeah. It was more so like, oh, oh crap. Like it's happening it's happening like nerves and oh yeah nervous yeah even, so when you say you missed did you like miss low you shot it over it went through his horns it actually um oh that's not really a it was kind of a crazy sound it like it exploded the arrow which is kind of crazy because they're really strong okay um, so so a miss not so that like you didn't actually you just didn't hit it where you wanted to hit so you hit it in its uh, antlers is yeah that, yeah know? it went through the the antlers and jesus sort of, christ made some ungodly noise and uh -huh. the deer took off and yeah it was it was Jeez. a sad moment i was like what did i just do oh my god yeah so that was that was the first that was the first shot that you first hunt first shot first day first hour wow got a shot i mean it was just like a storybook but except for the ending <laughs> but uh and then i didn't see a deer for quite a while quite a while as in like the another day month. Or a month yeah how many how many more hunts until oh i was like obsessive you know i was going out like every other day jesus and it was just, yeah i was just like i 
I was doing sunrise hunts and I was just mm-hmm. sort of into it. I was into like the thrill of, uh, and now I kind of look back and I was like a little naive that like there's so many bear in that area that I was like, I, I don't do that anymore. Like it's uh-huh. a little too risky. Um, but last year, yeah, I was just like obsessed and I was like, it, like twice a week I'm going and I'm just like, and then on the weekend too. And I'm like, um, this year, not so much, a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, I got to work, but uh, I got you. So that was, that was first shot, first miss. What about, was there a second shot? Was the kill the second shot? Ah, uh, yeah. You're bringing up a sore subject. I, do you know hey, about this and you're bringing it? No. Okay. I, I'm it's more, like, I'm more so I'm embarrassed well, to, to no, no, no. tell you. I, this, this is a, a little bit meta, but more so it's like, it's cool to hear the story of, of people's success. It's a lot cooler to hear about every, all the, like, you know, the, the struggles yeah. that, that, that like led up to it because it's like, who, who wants, oh yeah, you know, um, I was born, I dribbled the ball and I shoot three pointers all the time. Every single one hit nothing but net. Yeah. Good like, luck like, with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, apparently this is an embarrassing one. The second one. Um, yeah, it's like, I'm actually, there's a little shame around it. I gotta uh-huh. be honest. Um, I was, uh, early in the season this year, uh, doe female Deer walks up, um, same stand that I'm at now, same situation. Oh, is this uh, 30 feet up? Yeah, 30 feet up. So you've already Same situation. Okay. Um, I pulled a beautiful shot. And so the sun was about to go down. Um, uh-huh. And this is the thing. You're allowed to hunt 30 minutes after the sun goes down. Okay. But I don't know why you would. Um, because it's... Well, it's it's just hard it's to see, and then yeah. you got to find the deer, dude. Like mm-hmm. you got to find this deer. It's going to take off, and it's going to go in in a spot that you probably don't want to go, like thorn bushes, or mm-hmm. it's going to find this little corner to to hide. Um, and you have to follow a blood trail in the dark. So, I pulled the shot. I pulled a beautiful shot. Um, oh, it hit it right through. Nice. Okay. Right where I needed to hit, and uh-huh. it, you know, sprinted straight and i was like okay i know where it went i'm all good i got maybe another half hour of daylight Uh and um i was like i can't believe it it finally happened this is it yeah and uh find the blood trail start following it and just got tangled in thorns and Uh uh-oh circling around and i lose the blood trail and oh, it's no. dark and i was like okay okay start over so i go back to the beginning find the blood trail you know i'm literally on my hands and knees crawling through thorn bushes that like no human should try to attempt to go through it's like i needed a machete like i like i can't even get through this you know like i'm Jesus. just pushing and just getting torn up like literally, I just put, picked one out of my arm the other day. Finally, oh, came, I see it. Finally, he showed me his arm. Oh my yeah. god! Jeez. So, so yeah, I suffered looking for this thing, and I was just just devastated. I was like, and you know, at this point, it a was bit of uh, ego probably taking over too. Like, you gotta find this. This was your kill. Well, Go like honestly, it. it wasn't so much ego. I just felt bad. I'm like, I just killed this deer, oh, okay. and it's gonna lay there, and like, God. <laughs> and that's it. As opposed to like, you know, it it you in a sense, you know, with, with hunting, dying for a purpose, whether it be, you know, for food. Yeah. Like I'm not killing to kill, dude. Kill. I'm killing to, to eat, you know, okay. I want to bring this home and feed my family. Um, so yeah, maybe a little ego, like, uh-huh. you know, I, I screwed up, but, um, so I gave it a solid three hours of just suffering, just going through, you know, every direction I could go. And 
I mean, I don't know if you can picture the terrain, but you can't see, you know, three feet in front of your face. This is super dense area um, that it ran toward. It could have ran four directions. It ran the worst possible way they could have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went back the next day, the daylight, spent another several hours looking, never found it. Think a bear got or something else got it? Well, I mean, I, I'm sure that the coyotes ate it, mm-hmm. um, but... Uh, God, it's just sad. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, so I feel that was, bad. That was second shot. Um, so that was my first kill. Second shot, first kill. Um, and a lot. That's not bad at all. Then a well, lot of know. just feeling really shitty about that for a while. Just like just up at night, just like God, what a loser I am. I can't believe I did that. Like, uh-huh. so I corrected some mistakes. Um, and what was it? What would, what would you think was your mistake in that one after the shot? Um, like at this point, I don't think I would shoot something that close to dark. Okay. Um, it's hard enough to follow a blood trail, but like it's really difficult to follow it in the dark. And they make lights that like supposedly, you know, like those CSI blue, lights or something. Yeah. Like yeah. a blue filter. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, you know, supposedly it's supposed to glow. I don't know. Still difficult. So, yeah, like common sense, like leave markers where you see blood trail. So mm-hmm. um, I just didn't have anything with me the first time. It was inexperienced. And I guess that's why I feel ashamed. Like I, it was like a rookie screw up, you know, like mm. like if I had markers, I could have known like where that trail ended and I would have had a better chance of finding it. So that's where I felt like the shame of like it was just a dumb mistake and um, shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. So I've got uh, that problem solved now. So it was the third shot. Yeah, the third shot was the took it home. Now you were also talking about. I think when when people think about the the shot, <clears throat> a lot of them were thinking like from the movies. Uh, you know, level plane. You know, uh, the deer walking right out in front of your eye level with it, and it has to be turned a certain way for you to hit it correctly. Correct? Yeah, ideally. So, so ideally it would be like broadside, like 90 degree, you just right. shoot it through the side. And as you said, it's like the size of a quarter and you and well, for the, the heart, the death, you know, the killing, uh, zone, uh, yeah. you know, the vitals are way bigger than a quarter, but I'm okay. saying my goal is mm-hmm. to be able to hit a quarter consistently. Yeah. I don't, you know, um, I want a clean shot. Yep. Now this differs because, uh, uh, a, a deer, or whatever your target is not just going to nicely walk up to you at, you know, 90 degrees and just stand there perfectly still for you. And not only that, you had the extra challenge of 30 feet up. So what was, what was the shot that you had to do? Well, it came in. Um, so I'm playing with the wind. Mm -hmm. So basically the wind is, is at my back and, um, that's the direction I know the deer are going to come from. So they don't smell me basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, you're also, you're, you're, like, like I said, I'm 30 feet up. The odds of them smelling me are pretty slim, but mm-hmm. you also want to play your wind. You, you have to play all these factors uh, just in case, you know, because you have to walk in there. You have to climb up, you know, anyhow. So it walks in, it's got his back, you know, it's rump to- toward me. And, you know, you hear the stories like when you're in New Jersey, you get a hunting license, you have to go through hunter education. And mm-hmm. the number one thing they say is like, don't be rude and like shoot a deer in the spine, you know, like you will kill it, but you'll paralyze it first and it's going to, you know, release all kinds of, you know, hormones and, Mm -hmm. um, 
it's going to suffer quite a bit. So you, you don't want that. You don't want a dirty kill. You, you want to, to be ethical um, as much as you can. And uh, so it's a bad, it comes in at the worst angle possible. And I'm waiting and waiting and I'm thinking, hmm, it's not going to stick around too long. I mean, it's not like they hang out for 15 minutes typically and, and wait. Um, they're usually in and out and do their thing. Um, so just thankfully, um, it turned just enough that I could visualize the angle that I needed. Um, I'm, I'm focusing on the exit of where that arrow is going to exit, right? Mm -hmm. So if it enters high on the back, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's going to exit right through the heart, hopefully. So that's what happened. So you have to um, kind of like predict a bit. Geometry. Yeah, a little bit of, of, of the geometry where it's yeah. not like a broadside shot you had to go. No, it was not an easy shot. Up through the back at an angle, not even like, almost like pool, like the it's cue exactly ball. It's exactly like billiards, yeah. 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 Jeez. Totally, so uh, which I to... used to be really good at, so <laughs> <laughs> I think I have that advantage. So you were able to, you were able to get that shot. And I'm not this... good at math, but I'm good at pool. <laughs> and this time, when it ran off? Uh, I found it. It didn't go that far. Okay. Um, um, it's set up, they, they tend to want to run towards water um, <laughs> when they're dying. So I'm, I'm set up really close to water, uh, and it ran right toward the water and, you know... Uh, it's interesting you talk about a, a clean versus like a dirty kill. The only thing I can correlate that to, I remember watching on an episode of like Chef's Table or something like that. And it was a, a, a chef talking about uh, a proper way to um, kill fish before serving mm -hmm. that like they, they said that if you if you actually actually like kill kill the fish, it tastes worse. Yeah. And he showed, he showed a method where like he, he would before chopping off the head or after chopping off the head, he shoved like a needle up yeah. into like its spine or something. So it like, it's it nasty. It preserves something. So I, I guess that's, well, I think it's like, yeah, I think when they, when, when anything dies, it's going to release, um, stress hormones. Mm -hmm. And I guess some people say that, that, uh, comes through. It doesn't taste good. I'll tell you this though. I mean, so you, you ate the venison. So yes, that was I your did. first. I, I, I appreciate that. Yep. And, and we call it venison. So we don't say it's deer, but you know, okay. it's a deer. We ate mm -hmm. deer. So what did you think? It was delicious. It was the, <laughs> as you said, it was, you, you show me the different types of cuts because the, the tenderness is kind of like steak. You can have like, kind of like a sirloin versus like the ribeye. And then you know, it was fresh. You, what was it? Garlic and butter. And oh, now Gar I'm getting garlic right, and me, butter makes everything yeah, good. Yeah. Right. It's a, yeah. <laughs> but I, I have noticed that, um, that I digest this meat a whole different way. It's, it's a much better, um, efficient digestion that I'm getting with this. I did notice I was, I had a much better night as opposed to like, if I went to like, you know, Rut's Hut or I got a Chipotle or something where it just destroys my, <laughs> yeah. have a nice time in the bathroom afterwards. Oh, heck, you don't need to talk about that. Good. Anyway. You didn't have any, uh, yeah. any issues? No, no, no. I didn't. I also appreciate that. Well, the, the, you know, the pressure was on a little bit. Like, so, you know, hmm. this is your first experience with eating venison and like, what oh. if I made it bad? And like, oh, heck, he's like, well, I don't like venison anymore. You know, like, because some people are like, oh, it's, it's, it's like gamey or it's this or that did you feel like it was gamey no absolutely not you know what the hilarious part like before we even started cooking it um and before you started telling me your story of your first uh of, of the actual successful kill 
like uh, we were we were catching up, and then I was I was mentioning, and and I felt like such an idiot mentioning it to you. But it's what we did. You you asked like, oh, what you what you guys do last night? I'm like, oh, I, uh, uh, Jess and I cooked a meal from Blue Apron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And through this whole podcast, as you're ta- as you talking about, like, oh, you know, like, when uh, I see this food just put on the table, I don't know where it came from. You know, I feel bad about it. I want to be able to put, and here, like, you know, Blue Apron Burger, in case anyone doesn't know, is a... Uh, I didn't know, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's a service where they they, they deliver, not the, the, the cooked meal, they deliver all the ingredients, all pre-portioned, uh, the, the majority of it, you know, for X amount of dollars, for X amount of meals, like, per week for uh two people or for for a family and they give you directions of how to cook it so it was it was more so for for us to kind of remedy our little situation like oh we were ordering in too much or eating out too much all right let's just do something where we sit down as a family and start cooking together and then, of course you got to one-up everything mike and go out and, <laughs> well i'm uh, not saying it's for everybody too i mean like yeah you know you got to be convenient you got to you know people need convenience and i get that yes That's, uh, i'm not i'm not saying everybody should go bow hunt but like mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would change people's perspective, that's for sure. You know, like um, like I said, I just personally didn't feel like I could continue, um, like, going to the grocery store and letting a hitman take care of my, my kill for me. Um, I gotcha. Uh, like, it's, um, it's just something that I needed to do for me. But I don't, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. It's, um, now, this wasn't just for the food, because obviously there's parts. At, uh, after you took it Oh, we uh, saved home. everything, yeah. Yeah. And so you were able to apply some of your, uh, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, a little bit of butchering chickens. This is also, you got to... Uh, yeah, I butchered it. Yep. So you got to preserve all the different uh, cuts of meat. But also, as you said, uh, there were other uh, applications for uh, the deer. Yeah, we're making bone broth. You know, mm-hmm. I've been making bone broth for a long time. But like, I'll go to the farmer's market in Montclair and, and get bones grass-fed, which are quality. I'm happy with those. But... Um, you know, what better than, you know, yep. grass fed deer. So yeah, we've been making bone broth. Um, I'm learning how to tan the hide. That's wow. a whole process. Let me tell you, um, as you roll your eyes, it, it sounds like it's a, a it sounds work. like it's a process. I mean, just yeah. everything involves a lot of work, you know, uh-huh. and I think that's just the bottom line is like our society has always been looking for more convenience. You know, we want people to do stuff for us. We mm-hmm. want, you know, we just want to like, we just want to chill. We just want to like kick our feet up because we're overworked, you know, like we, we do stuff all day long. We people just want to, people want to do what they deem important or priority to them. And probably bow hunting and finding your own <laughs> yeah. kill is probably not the number one priority for them. Not yet. I guess not. At least not, at least <laughs> it not is yet. mine, but like, yeah. <laughs> but, no, I get it. I mean, like, you know, we, as a society, we want, um, conveniences and, um, I, as an individual, you know, of course I enjoy a lot of conveniences of modern society, but like, I like to go back to like, the, like the old school way. Like I'm kind of an old school guy. Like I like to get getting close to the metal. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I'll build it myself. Like, I don't want to order it. I'll, like, make it myself, you know? Like, if I want to decorate my house, like, I'm going to go, you know, find find somebody that has, like, live-edge slabs, and, like, I'm going to learn how to, you know, finish them and, you know, build furniture, you know? I'd rather do it myself than have the convenience of somebody doing it for me. It just means more to me, like, um, you know, and, and again, it's like you just, you learn a whole new trade, you know? I learned more about, um, you know, the grains of wood than I would ever want to know, you know, by finishing tables. And this is getting really close, like bare to the metal is like close to nature. I mean, I think for a, a bunch of people, 
as far as the learning process that you've gone through, obviously through through hunting and through uh, all those other processes of, of like hiking and tracking and what to do with the deer after you do actually get the kill and all the different ways to uh, utilize the meat and the skin and the bones. Um, hold on. Trust me, I, I have something where, where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm gathering all the thoughts in, in my head. Getting back to Bear to the Metal, you are going back to nature, in, in a sense. All the way back to what, what can be more nature than being one-on-one -on -one with nature and uh, going out hunting and doing all set activities. Uh, I think other people have been attempting to do things like that with, let's just say, for, for their professions, um, even though nowhere near nature. But in a way, the process is kind of related. Like I do a lot of programming and a lot of people, what they'll see is that they look at, let's say you see the screen here on the recorder or you see the thing on your, on your phone and you just think it's like, all right, you, you, you hit a button and some magic happens and somehow like now I'm able to see, uh, oh, pictures of you, uh, drawing a bow and then I can turn it into, you know, little, use a little Photoshop and I can create a little promo pic of you for, yeah, for the funny. podcast. I was like, where'd you find that picture? Yeah, man. That's, <laughs> it was off of Facebook. That's funny. But then you can you can start going uh, backwards, which is you know what what I had to do as far as like okay, the, obviously it's not just click one button and then that that happens. All right, learn this language. Oh, this language is based off of this building block, which is then based off of like this this building block, which is down to like the bare uh, little bits of zeros and ones that like can't be human interpreted, but it has been there's been so much layered on top of it for convenience sake for us down all the way to, there's this uh, book called Code, and uh, the author's name is Petzl, P-E-T-Z-O-L-D. I forgot the, the exact last one. But they go all the way back. It, it actually starts out with uh, the Revolutionary War, where, uh, uh, who's that guy? Paul Revere had to ride around, and he had to hold, uh, had to put the lanterns in mm -hmm. the thing to signal, what is it? Uh, the British are coming? Uh, the British are coming, but like uh, uh, one by land, two by sea, or something like that. So it was like the very first kind of like code to communicate. And uh, what they were talking about there was that, oh, the, the brilliance of that thing is that um, when, you hold, when, you, when, you, when you put two lanterns up in a building, like, if I say to you, one by, one by uh, uh, land, two by sea, I could put a lantern in the left slot, and it still means it's by land. I can put that lantern in the right slot, and you as a human just already know that it's, it's by uh, land as well, too. And then as soon as you see two, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like you don't have to be, all right, all right, all right. One by land, if you put it in the left slot, and then one by, you know, you didn't have to specify it. So it's kind of like a... Um, what I'm what, what I'm what I'm talking about here is it's, it's kind of like an abstraction of an idea of how to communicate, and then from that abstraction they built that into what you can see, and the book goes through it of what like oh the very first type of binary code okay the very first type of assembly code okay this is how it eventually got to um, what we see today with you know on the phone. Well, I think it gives you a deeper understanding of mm -hmm. what you're doing today, if you understand yeah. where it came from. Yeah, for sure. So it, it's 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 a track that I think a lot of people, and I think it's a great lesson from that you are are giving for people, that they don't have to necessarily follow the pattern of, all right, if I really want to discover myself, I've got to quit everything I'm doing now and go on a bow hunt and hunt my own food. I mean, it's a it's a it's a great goal to have, but I think you started out like you didn't immediately start like 
just diving into that you probably you know took the steps there or you had to like get your mind ready for that was it oh would you would you say like uh as you said you started with uh, like full contact kickboxing when when 16 17 with, with, with wrestling would you have done the bow hunting at that point or was there like a a bunch of like character changes that you had to do or your mind or through your experience through yoga that you had to learn a bunch before you even were able to not only accept but appreciate going into yeah like yeah this. i mean different times of life you know i think mm-hmm. different uh different things come up that um i wasn't it wasn't something that interested me back then yeah. um yeah i mean it's like i guess maybe after a certain amount of years of of like that feeling of like oh i just ate meat and like you know wow i've been feeling like this for years now like i didn't have that feeling when i was like 17 like it was like oh whatever just like go to the grocery store and like you get your food but I guess over the, you know, years, it's sort of like if that thought keeps coming up, mm-hmm. then you're like, yeah, you know, I got to do something about that. You know, it's, it's, uh, I guess it's, it's because it, it comes up repeatedly over a period of years and it's that feeling that you got to do something about it. Did this come up through meditation at all? Or like, you think it kind of like helped guide you to that? Or did it just like the, the thought just kind of like popped into your mind? Uh, I don't even know if it was that, <laughs> if it was even like that organized, you know, mm-hmm. it was just maybe, um, yeah, like the ebb and flow of like, uh, just, you know, what I'm consuming and like noticing, like, uh, like, do I need meat in my diet? And like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I think I battled with that choice for a while. Like, do I need it? Or is this just like, do I just like it? You know, do gotcha. I like the flavor of it or do I really need it? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm to the point now I feel like I need it. Um, I don't feel like my body recovers on a vegetarian diet. I mean, I, I work construction. So like all mm-hmm. day long, like I'm just burning through calories, like faster than I can eat them. Um, and, um, and I, you know, I get beat up a lot, so it's, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I got to recover. So, um, I mean, and, and like, I'm not saying everybody, it's just, that's just my body, you know, gotcha. I'm not saying everybody should you know, eat that way. I, I totally respect people that, you know, choose to be vegetarian. If it works for them, that's great. I wish it worked for me. Um, mm-hmm. it just doesn't. I mean, like I, I have tried it, you know, I really committed, um, vegetarian diet and it just didn't work for me. So I think you've given a, pl- a lot of examples, um, through the course of these stories and, and a lot of lessons as well too, of kind of like goals to, shoot for or kind of like a, a a pathway of like all right if you if if you start actively doing something now if you want to start moving in the direction of let's say getting back to nature to okay as you said you you actually had a lot of hiking before you uh went into hunting and uh that there was the the yoga retreats there was the meditation there was a, a little bit more of a, a a connection back to the spiritual side which is something where you can actively move towards and like you see that and you actually start walking towards it. If you run into, let's just say, um, I'm throwing a hypothetical here of, of, a, of a typical, uh, what's, what's the term, Joe Sixpack or something, you know, not that physical, maybe goes to the gym like once in whenever. They have the New, Year, New Year's resolution to do that. Yeah. They have their Netflix queue that's, that's filled up. They're not that active. They probably don't eat that, that right. Or they uh, spend a lot of time on social media, et cetera, et cetera. 
obviously they've been told and they can read as much about this is what you should do. Bum, 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 bum. Like here's and here are the benefits of that. If you were to give advice to, let's say Warren ever turn, turns out like that, and you were and you were to tell him things what not to do as opposed to what to do, what would you say are some things that like, okay, if you, if you slowly, but surely, if you, as, as long as you stop doing this and this and this, this actually starts clearing the table or cleaning mm-hmm. the slate to start moving in that general direction. It's a, it's a deeper, it's a deeper well, uh, question. Yeah. But I mean, go right ahead. First thought is that like, I don't know if I would tell him to not do things like, okay. I mean, that was my first thought is like, like I, my feeling is that like you, like those bad habits that you don't like, they'll mm-hmm. tend to fall away if you do something positive. Okay. Um, if, if like, if I'm ever in a funk, if I'm like depressed or just feeling whatever, like blah, like for a period of time, like it's not a matter of like, Oh, I, I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that. Cause it's almost like you'll, f- I, w- I would like feel worse about it. Like mm. if I draw attention to what I'm doing that I don't want to do, and then it's like harder to not do those things. It's just easier. I think to, to break the pattern by doing something positive. Mm. Um, and those bad things sort of fall away. Like you don't, really have a desire for it anymore it's true like i don't really mm-hmm. want to be on my phone if i'm you know training jujitsu tonight like what you know like why would i want to be so um, it's it's replacing the bad with something good or better yeah i'd say like if warren wants to um you know draw anything from this it's like if you're just ever in a position where you need to shift energy um or if you want to better yourself or get rid of bad habits um you, you just have to start with one positive thing and congratulate yourself for that and be kind to yourself for it like can like see it as a win you know mm-hmm. like celebrate that win and like just really feel how it feels when you win and like i did something like i set a goal i made that goal happen how does that feel like it feels good i want to do it again you know and like you know hey you don't want to like create a craving to like or now you're just such mm-hmm. a goal-oriented person like all i have to do is like make goals but like Within balance, right? Like, so you create I th- I think, a goal. I think and, that's what a lot of people actually start getting caught well, up in overcompensation. Exactly, maybe, and know? it actually is a is it is a detriment to them. Yeah. I, I guess that's why I originally asked. Okay, what what do you what what are some things you 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 don't do? Because as you just mentioned right there, there are there are plenty of things that you can do, and then like when you do like get as you said too goal oriented. If you start reading things like all those motivational posts, like oh I get up at three a.m., get up there, motherfucker, blah blah blah, and mm-hmm. it's like dude, you take PEDs, shut up, you <laughs> <Exactly>. know. So <laughs> you're on juice. You are on juice, and you're not mentioning that to people anyway. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, with you know if I had to say one thing to not do, it's mm-hmm. have a negative mindset. Gotcha. It's like you just can't do that. <laughs> You're not going to win. You're not going to succeed in anything. Oh, that's a tough one. Though, You're not going right? to feel good. Isn't that tough? As sure. Far as, like, just just that something like, oh, just stop acting so negative. Well, that's I mean, a, what what positive things do you get from negative thinking? You know, That's true. I mean, it's true. I know it's hard. It's, it's hard to get out of that funk. But it's, you know, it's, it's honestly, it's a choice. It's like, okay. it's... It's, you know, um, I know that's, you know, not everybody's situation in the same way, but I think mm-hmm. most people can make a choice to say, I want to be happy today. I, mm. I don't want to just criticize everybody I run into and, and like just bitch and moan uh-huh. about my problems. It's like, 
dude, we're all struggling. We all have problems. We all, you know, can just focus on the negative if we want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to lead us down a negative path and we're not going to do shit. We're going to feel sorry for ourselves and, you know, and all these other things are going to, you know, it's going to snowball into a much larger problem. Um, so what not to do, Warren, <laughs> don't have a negative attitude. Gotcha. It's, uh, it's just that simple, I think. But, um, mm-hmm. you know. With that, get, because when you move away from the negative, you actually, one would say, as long as you move away from the negative, you start moving towards, not negative, in this case, hopefully positive. And I think that's a really cool message and a great lesson to pass on to Warren, which I thank you for. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'd say if, if Warren's having a bad day, you know, yeah. whether he's four or whether he's 25, you know, it's like, if you feel like you're not fulfilled you're like you're not feeling good about yourself and you're doing all these bad things and you're like not happy about it like do something nice for somebody else that Mm -hmm. will break the pattern like just stop thinking about yourself so much and literally like just go hold the door for somebody or like just do something randomly nice not to like you know not to get credit and like the guy Mm -hmm. pats you on the back like totally not about that it's about you know um getting out of yourself you know your your problems become a lot less large mm-hmm. and overwhelming if you realize that like everybody's struggling and like why don't i just help that person out a little bit you know um and and like next thing you know like wow the side effect is it like i don't really think my problems are so bad anymore you know all of a sudden they're not they're not so but eventually you eventually you do have to come around and solve your own problems of because, course because, because running around solving other people's problems is a, another problem in well right itself. i'm not saying like yeah. an extreme you're like you like never deal with your own shit but like <laughs> obviously you got to deal with your own shit but i'm yeah. saying um sometimes it's just like it's just the way to break your day yeah. like if you're having a bad day and you're just like mm-hmm. man i don't want to do this today i'm just like cranky and whatever it is um you know, just go smile at somebody and like hold the door and like next thing you know, like, you know, they're happy and now you're happy and like all of a sudden, you know. Start, jump start something. Yeah, it jump starts, exactly. Yeah, I think it just shifts the energy. Very cool, man. Dude, you've done two hours. Wow. Which Time is, flies. Yeah, which is really cool. I really want to thank you. Do you have anything else that you, you wanted to... Oh, we can uh, go on all day. Tomorrow. You could go <laughs> on, a, dude. You can time. go on it. You can you can attempt to be the new record holder. No, you're fun to hang out like. with, man. So we could just talk all day, you know. Yep. But um, yeah, it was just awesome to be here. I mean, I think what you're doing with with this podcast just shows like what kind of parent you already are, and like it's it's all about teamwork. You know, you and Jessica are doing this as a team for mm-hmm. Warren, and it's that's what parenting is, man. It takes <laughs> a village. You know, yep. it takes uh, a solid marriage and teamwork to uh, to make him a you know everything that he can and wants to be and we're also very uh grateful and thankful to have uh people close to us just like you and just like amy and uh our our circle of of influence and our circle of friends that we beat the crap out of each other just to say thank you to one another you know we love everyone we love you we love everyone um else as well as uh, we want to thank all, all listeners is there anything else you want you want to plug anything as far as uh what you're doing north south jiu-jitsu baby let's plug new north north south jiu-jitsu <laughs> <laughs> that's what brought us all together right? it did you and know? here in, in in montclair new jersey so if you you know we talk about jiu-jitsu enough come on out and try a class there you go and once again thank you for everyone for listening and of course thank you to you mike for stopping by and sharing those incredible stories 
and especially the one about the, the, the bow hunting, which a lot of people were looking forward to. And I hope you guys got your fill. And if you want to hear more, just request them back. We'll have him on again, and he'll talk for another two hours. And <laughs> I'll ramble maybe, for another two hours. Ra- <laughs> and he'll probably have another story coming up. But once again, thank you uh-huh. very much, Mike. All right. Thanks, Aggie.